Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. Last week, we did one of our book review episodes, and we talked about common stocks and uncommon profits. And today's episode is also inspired by a book, Shawnee, and it's inspired by where do babies come from? (laughs) Uh, I am really not sure what to say. I was away last week for a few days and uh, I came back to a document from Mark titled Where Do Babies Come From? with absolutely no context apart from that. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you you were away to celebrate your birthday, which is exciting. I was, yeah. I went Th- to Uluru. This is the first podcast we've recorded since your birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So happy birthday. Thank you. Um, you want to tell us about your trip? Yeah, I mean, I uh, went to Uluru and I did the base walk and um, went to Katajuda and did a couple of the gorge walks and ate a lot, drank a lot, avoided the heat. Yeah, was it, was there <laughs> was there a particular highlight? Um, yeah, so I did a dinner. I did it's called the Sounds of Silence dinner, and they take you out more into the middle of nowhere, and you have dinner on the red dirt, and um, yeah, it's just like a lot of drinking, and then they turn off all the lights so it's just completely pitch black and I grew up in Sydney so I've just never seen stars really so (laughs) that was very very good and then they talk to you about it and you look through a telescope and stuff after like four bottles of wine okay so so all the drinking (laughs) you figuratively turned out the lights and then they literally did it exactly okay I blacked out both ways so (laughs) there you go there you go well you heard it here first on his birthday (laughs) yeah but there, there is a pattern now so every time I do go somewhere and leave you to your own devices. I come back to no context. Where do babies come from? So I think, Mark, maybe I'll leave you to start the episode. Maybe you can explain what this has to do with investing. Okay. No, it it does. Trust me. So (laughs) there's been a lot of volatility lately, obviously, I think, as we've all seen in the market. And, you know, that's just a way of saying the markets have bounced around a lot, which I know is causing people a lot of stress. So instead of where do babies come from, we're going to talk about where returns come from. And we're going to do this because we think it adds a good framework for investors, and it's more helpful than people just saying buy the dip or sell everything. So that's what we're going to do today. So, Shani, where do returns come from? Well, in this case, we're not talking about fundamentals or the attributes of companies that we think will perform well. We are literally t- talking mathematically where returns come from. There are three things that happen when which impact returns. We get returns from changes in valuation levels, changes in earnings, and from dividends. So let's dig into each of these concepts. Why don't we start with earnings? Okay. It's a good place to start. So we've said on here multiple times that when we buy shares, we are, of course, buying a company. And just like if I bought a small business, the thing that matters is what that business will earn in the future. And investors decide how much they will pay for these earnings. And there are a lot of considerations that will go into that decision, which we'll get into in a bit. But the fact remains that the reason you buy a company is because of what it will earn in the future. And therefore, of course, those earnings have value. So logic holds that if earnings have value, then more earnings are better than less earnings. So if earnings increase, the value of the shares will increase. That makes one driver of returns an increase in earnings. If investors are willing to pay a dollar for every dollar of earnings, or if they're willing to pay $500 for every dollar of earnings, the growth in earnings leads to more value, which leads to returns. Okay, so that one hopefully is relatively basic, Mm -hmm. right? So when we turn our attention to, I think another one that's pretty basic, dividends. 
So dividends are, of course, another source of returns. And in fact, they make a bigger contribution than most people think. So if we look at the S&P 500, so 500 largest shares in the US, since 1930, dividends have made up 41% of the total returns. And that return varied over decades as dividends fell into and out of fashion. So for instance, in the 90s, dividends were very out of fashion. And what was in fashion was neon and the grunge look shiny. So (laughs) dividends came back into fashion after that. So we just have to wait for neon and the grunge look to come back. So I'm just going to ignore your fashion statement and go back to dividends. 41% is a lot. So dividends are important. The important thing that will dictate how much return you get is how the dividend level compares to the cost basis of your shares. There are two drivers here. There is the dividend yield when you purchase the share, and then there is any growth that happens afterwards. So why don't you take this one, Mark? Okay. Okay. Uh, So the dividend yield is calculated by dividing the dividend by the share price. So if the share price is $20 and the dividend is $1, that's a 5% yield. Now, that yield is a really important number because that yield when you purchase the share will be a big driver of your future return. So let's go through an example. So for the purpose of this example, let's assume the dividend is never raised. So if you buy a share for $20 and the dividend is $1, you are getting that 5% yield. That means forever, as long as the dividend is maintained, you will get that 5% a year. And you'll still get that 5% no matter what the share price does. So let's say the share price doubles and it's now yielding 2.5%. That current yield doesn't really matter to you. All that matters is the yield at your cost basis because that is what your returns are calculated off of. The problem, of course, is when you buy a share with a really low yield, that will forever reduce the returns you get from dividends, which, as we said, is one of the three sources of returns. So let's turn our attention to the third part of returns, and that is changes in valuation level. Okay. So as investors, we use multiples to represent how much investors are willing to pay for a particular share or for the market as a whole. The most popular multiple is earnings multiple, so the price to earnings ratio. But there are others such as price to sales, price to cash flow, or price to book. Now, these relative valuation measures shouldn't be confused with valuing a share, but they can allow us to compare the valuation level of one company to another company a company to the overall market, or the company or market to a historic period of time. In that way, we can make statements like share A is more expensive than share B, or the market is more expensive than it was five years ago. Now, it's important to note that at face value, none of these comparisons of multiples help to explain why or if one company should be trading at a higher valuation level than another. That is why we need to understand the business. So, for instance, it's perfectly normal to pay a high valuation level for a company that's growing faster, because as investors, we care what a company earns in the future. When we look at the overall market, we need to understand that at certain times, investors are willing to pay more or less for shares. Sometimes this willingness is rational, and sometimes it isn't, but either way, it is a fact of life that overall valuations change. Yeah. And so let's look at some factors that may come into play to drive the willingness of an investor to pay more or less for shares. So there's, of course, the level of interest rates. So when interest rates are lower, investors are willing to pay more for shares because the rate that's used to discount back future cash flows when valuing a share is lower. So a lower discount rate means a higher share value in general. There's also just 
economic conditions. So when the overall economy is strong and investors are feeling good, they'll often pay more for shares. If there are geopolitical risks, like what's happening right now in the Ukraine, investors are often willing to pay less for shares. The perception of risk is also often a factor. So generally, when the market has recently gone up, investors will perceive that there is less risk and they'll pile into the market. That, of course, is called greed. When the perception of risk is higher, investors will often flee shares, and that is called fear. And these changes in valuation level matter to investors? It is the third source of return. Growing earnings is, of course, great, but what makes that even better is if investors are willing to pay more for those earnings. If you went to bed one night and investors were willing to pay 10 times earnings and you woke up the next morning and investors were willing to pay 20 times earnings, that's a pretty good deal. In that case, your return would have doubled. And an example that occurs overnight is clearly not real, but in some ways it would be better if it happened that way because investors would notice it. What tends to happen is that this occurs slowly over time. So slowly that most people that are paying that close of attention actually miss it. And it is normally accompanied by a narrative that explains what is happening, which never really focuses on the valuation level. Share prices are going to go up because the economy is doing great, or they go up because the specific company you picked is the best company ever. Or they're going to go up because this time it's different. Let's use an example to illustrate this. So we're going to use the CAPE ratio, which is the cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio. So this is a ratio popularized by Robert Schiller, who's a professor at Yale. Purpose of the CAPE ratio is to smooth out the natural changes in earnings over the business cycle or the cyclicality of earnings. The problem is that the price to earnings ratio is impacted by both the P or price and the E or earnings and can actually be quite volatile. By looking at the average earnings over a 10 year period, the CAPE ratio smooths out that volatility or cyclicality so that you're better able to see trends over time. And it's also adjusted for inflation. So, for our example, guess what time period we're going to look at, Shani? So I'm going to guess the 90s, mate, so we can put on Springsteen's glory days. Yeah, those are not my glory days, Shani. <laughs> um, they are ahead of me. Okay, well, that's a good way of looking at it. Very optimistic. Yeah, that's me. I'm mm. very optimistic. But <laughs> I do think that the late 90s are just an interesting time in investing history. So let's look at the CAPE ratio, the S&P 500, during the decade of the 90s. So we started the decade at a CAPE ratio of 17. That means the market was trading at 17 times earnings over the average earnings over the last 10 years. So we ended the decade at a CAPE ratio of 44.2, which, as we'll talk about later, happens to be the highest ever. So let's ignore everything that happened over that decade, earnings growth, any dividends that you received. Let's just look at the impact of the valuation changes. All right. So we went from 17 to 44.2 over a decade, which is a compound annual growth rate of just over 10%. Now, that's pretty good. That means that over the decade, you would have made a 10% return a year if earnings stayed exactly the same and you received no dividends. And the question, of course, is why? Why were investors willing to pay that much more for $1 of earnings? And you know, I think we all know what happened starting in 2000. So based on that, the assumption is that maybe there weren't good reasons for investors to actually do this. And Alan Greenspan, the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, coined a phrase that's gone down in history when he called this irrational exuberance. All right. So what is the lesson here? Well, over the decade, the S&P 500 had an annual return of around 15.5% a year if we look just at the price. 
if we include reinvested dividends, it was a return of close to 16% a year. So the lesson here is that the vast majority of the return you earned came from changes in valuation, 10% a year because investors decided they were willing to pay more for a dollar of earnings. The problem, of course, and the question you want to ask yourself as an investor who was buying shares in December of 99 is where do you think future returns are going to come from? Maybe earnings growth and then maybe some from dividends, but the market had gone up so much the dividend yield was around 1.14%. The problem is, Shani, that investors were likely expecting the same levels of return. And in fact, I was around in the late 90s and I can tell you they were. And you know, that is a problem. Investor expectations change after bull runs. So I'm not sure earnings growth and a 1.14% dividend yield are going to get you anywhere close to 16% a year. So that once again leaves us with changes in valuation. So to get another decade of returns around 16% a year, we just had to repeat the same increases in valuation levels. So why can't that happen? Well, anything can happen. If valuation levels increased at a 10% rate again for the next decade, we have a good chance of seeing similar returns. The problem was that at the beginning of 1990, we had a CAPE ratio of 17. And as we entered the 2000s, we had a CAPE ratio of just over 44. So if we had a 10% increase a year in valuations, we would end the decade at a cyclically adjusted price to earnings ratio of more than 114. Yeah. And that's high. Yeah. Really, (laughs) really high. Because As I said before, that 44.2 CAPE ratio in December of 1999 happens to be the highest that it has ever been. Highest it's ever been since January 1881 when the data starts. And of course, the highest it's been since. So that is a total of 1,694 monthly CAPE readings between 1881 and February of 2022. So what are we asking for as investors if we bought shares in December 1999? We were saying that even though we were paying the most we've ever paid for a dollar of earnings, we think that people in the future were going to not just pay a little bit more, but substantially more. So what happened if you bought shares in December of 99 and waited a decade? Well, in December of 2009, investors were willing to pay a CAPE ratio of 20.32 times earnings. So that change in valuation levels clearly had an impact on returns. This time, a negative impact on returns since the change in valuation was negative. And what return did investors in the S&P 500 get over that decade? You would have gotten a return of minus 5.39% a year if you just look at the price. If you include dividends, you would have earned a return of minus 0.58% a year. Yeah, and to put that in dollar terms, you would have invested $100 in the S&P 500 at the beginning of the year 2000 you would have $94.33 at the end of 2009 if you included dividends. So let's take a step back here because we went through this exercise for a reason. When you are investing and when everyone is telling you that the market is going to provide such and such a return in the future, you need to think about where that return is going to come from. Is it going to come from dividends? Well, if it is, then check the dividend yield you're investing at. Is it going to come from earnings growth? Well, then think about how fast the growth can be and what will influence that growth. Is it going to come from changes in valuation level? Well, you better check the valuation level you are currently at to see if logically it is more likely for it to grow or shrink. The question, of course, is where are we now? How should we look at the current market? Well, the market has been on a run since the GFC. In March of 2009, the S&P 500 bottomed out and the CAPE ratio bottomed out at 13.32, and the dividend yield was 3.6%. 
Turns out it was a pretty good time to invest, but of course that is in retrospect. We'll, well, we've been on quite a run since then. So if you invested at the beginning of 2009, you would have earned slightly over 13% a year by the end of 2021 and close to 16% a year if you included dividends. Yeah, and that's a familiar number, that yeah. <laughs> 16% a year, right? So from a return perspective, that's obviously very similar to the 90s that we talked about. And what has happened since? Well, the CAPE ratio went from 13.32 to finish at 38.66 at the end of 2021. That is a 8.6% per year increase in valuation over that 13-year period. And as we discussed before, 38.66 is not the highest CAPE ratio in history, but it's close. So there are 25 monthly CAPE ratios that were higher than 38.66. Of course, that is 25 out of 1,694 which means that in 1.4% of those monthly readings since 1881, the valuation level was higher. So another thing to think about, if you invest now in the S&P 500, you get a dividend yield of around 1.3%. And all we're saying here, once again, is to go into this with your eyes wide open. Think of those resources of return and where they'll come from going forward. And there is a lot going on in the world right now that feels really risky. So there's a war and tragedy going on in the Ukraine that's happening against a, a backdrop of inflation that has significantly limited what central banks can do to bail out the economy. But we need to remember that there's always risk. We tend to always think that we are living through unprecedented times, but that isn't actually true. We've always faced geopolitical risks economic risks, and most of them don't actually come to fruition. And we forget they existed or discount them because we know how they turned out. Problem is not that today's risks are bigger or smaller than other times, even if it feels that way right now. The problem is that the valuation level matters. A low valuation gives you more of a margin of safety for all these risks out in the world. A higher dividend yield gives you more of a margin of safety. There will always be a lot going on in the world and lots of things will change what an investor is willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. At a valuation level of 38, what is going to make it go higher and what can make it go lower? All right. We, we completed the episode that you thought was very inappropriate. <laughs> so that's good news. So anyway, thank you for actually clicking on this. Given what the title of this episode is, we uh, we appreciate that. Hope you enjoyed Shawnee's birthday story, and we would love ratings or comments in your podcast app, or to pass this along to your friend. And we do have a Facebook group as well that we've just opened, so if you'd like to join that, the link will be in the bio. Okay, great. Well, join the Facebook group. We'll throw some good stuff in there, and thank you again for listening. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.